Hello and welcome to Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, we invite a guest on to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Joining me today is graphic designer, writer, and music enthusiast, Nicole Blackburn. Nicole is a longtime friend and concert goer with Music Rewind regular Luke Boris and occasional musical collaborator. I hope that's, that's I think that's true. Uh, welcome, Nicole, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this. I have been just deep into Irish yodeling and the, uh, <laughs> all of it all week. Uh, lots of notes on the album, and I'm looking forward to this one. Nice, nice. Yes, I, I really enjoyed going deep on this album as well. I, I haven't revisited it as much as you know I did when I was younger and just discovering it. Well, let's jump right into this. What album are you bringing to the table and what makes it special to you? So I am bringing Everybody Else is Doing It, So Why Can't We by the Cranberries. So why is this album special to you? What makes it the one? So this it just holds such a special place in my heart. I discovered the cranberries in the late 90s, so I was around 12 years old. And you know, you're just you're just starting to form your identity. You're starting to develop your own tastes and figure out like what you like and what you don't like. Um, and so I remember lying on my floor listening to the local like alt rock station in my bedroom and I'd record my own little mixtapes off the radio and so you just you just lay there for hours just waiting for like if you liked a song and you missed it then you're like oh man okay I gotta wait till that one comes up again so I can queue up you know a free spot on my tape and there was just something about this music that caught my ear. I think it was once I heard Dolores O'Riordan's voice, I had to get more. And yeah, the few singles that were on the radio just weren't enough. Um, so this is a time where there's lots of, you know, it's probably predominantly a male-dominated station. But I think of like a few female singers that would rise above. I remember I think I had, uh, I'm trying to think back on like what I put on that mixtape. And I know there was some uh, Shirley Manson, like garbage and yeah, yeah. Uh, Gwen Stefani, early Gwen Stefani okay, and a couple others. But then, so cutting through all of this is just this angelic Irish woman's voice, you know, with this sort of rock music backing her. And you'd think it'd be completely out of place, but for some reason it just worked and something struck a chord with me. And by this time, I mean, the songs had already been out for a couple of years, so but they were still in rotation because um, I think they were just everywhere. So yeah, the album dropped in March 1st of 93. And so by about four or five years later, it, they were still like dreams linger and zombie were all still 
Yeah, I was surprised that this was a, a 93 album. I didn't realize it came out uh, then, which you know, predates my high school. Because uh, I remember this being uh, my freshman and sophomore year were 94, 95. So that mm-hmm. was when it really hit. And, and they were all over the place during my freshman and sophomore year. Uh, Linger and Dreams, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I was surprised this was, I guess it hit the U.S. a year or two later, kind of. And then they and then they re-released those those two singles. Yeah, they kind of quickly, quickly came across the pond, I believe. So yeah, the Dreams actually predated the album. So that came out in September of 92. Okay. And Linger came out in February of 93. And those were actually the first two songs they really developed together um they started out originally as instrumental songs that the guys had in their pocket and when dolores came along they gave them to her and they were like what would what would you do with these and um so yeah so yeah this these songs had quite the shelf life oh definitely yeah and i'm so thankful to have discovered it like i i live in a tiny town in the middle of cornfields in the Midwest, like uh, I didn't have cable or MTV and I didn't have a lot of money to blow on music. So I was, I was very much a saver when I was a kid. Um, so it, if I had a little bit of money, I, I only spent it on the things I really wanted. And so I specifically remember going to Walmart with my mom and buying this cassette and then immediately, like getting to the car, popping it into my Walkman, and and sitting there and queuing it up, and which now that I think back on it, was my mom was probably uh, rolling her eyes. It was probably a little bit disrespectful to be like, "Mom, I'm gonna listen to my music, like I've listened to yours for the last twelve years in the car. Like <laughs> this is this is my time." <laughs> was that a big departure from what? your parents like listen to, I mean, was it a, were they, were they a classic rock kind of family or like a rock pop? My, my dad's very much classic rock. So he'd always have uh, a boom box playing in the garage, like when he was working and my parents renovated a house as well. So a big farmhouse and we didn't, we moved in it in 93. So like the previous years working up to that, there was always, I'd always hear like music echoing in this gutted house and i mean uh, my dad uh would listen to you know journey zz top acdc stevie ray vaughn you know eric clapton whatever i like your dad (laughs) (laughs) old school old school old school rock and uh my mom is very much pop the this kind of sits in between then i mean that's yes i'm having a hard time labeling this and i know a lot of people don't like labels and stuff but it's still fun to to try to sometimes because everywhere you look it says alt rock and i don't know if that's accurate Mm -hmm. Uh, how would you label this some people call it dream pop or jangle pop um jangle pop i I like the word jangle Um, yeah that's, that's that's an interesting one it is dream pop uh, sounds sounds fairly accurate and this is the first time i had ever listened to this entire album oh that's great yeah it was and it was and i did enjoy it it was it was very 
very much what I expected based on the obvious two, you know, popular singles off of it. Uh, but there are a lot of good tracks on here and the the band is really good. Yes. Obviously, Dolores has an amazing voice and that is definitely a standout. But I was impressed with the band and um, several songs, the, the, the bass and the drums really kind of stood out to me. And overall, it was it's a great listen and it's very atmospheric. Yes. They ha- yes. they have a very specific style and that's why uh if if a random song started playing by the Cranberries, I think I could tell within a couple chords that's the Cranberries because they're such a unique sound. It definitely is evocative of a place. Like I can tell that they are playing. It sounds like they're playing in a space that's larger than a studio. That's like that's what I hear. So I'll give a little bit of a background on the band because I I feel like a lot of people probably don't know much about the band itself. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. The three guys came together first. Noel and Mike Hogan are brothers. They play guitar and bass. And then Fergal Lawler, he's on drums. I know that's a a great tongue twister. Lovely, lovely Irish name there. Yes. Love that. So they came together in 89. They were kind of groupies of their uh, of a local band. I think it was called The Hitchers. And Niall Quinn was the lead singer of that. And so that I think they were watching these bands and thinking, like, this is a profession. Like, this is a job option for us. And, I mean, these guys were only 18, 19, 20, something like that. And so they just literally went out and bought instruments and said, okay, we're going to start a band. And so they didn't know much about it, about how everything worked. Uh, so they asked, I think they asked Niall, like, would you want to front our band too? And Niall was kind of like, oh, oh, like I could, I could front two bands. Like, oh, this would be, this would be nice. Um, <laughs> but he only lasted, I think, about six months with them because he realized, he realized how hardworking these three guys were and that they were willing to like this was going to be their main gig and Niall was like I I just don't think my heart is in this this is my side project like you guys deserve someone who is going to give it their all and help lead you but his experience definitely helped form them and like solidify them just the nature of playing together and playing live and uh, but they were so naive, really naive and really green. Um, they were so bad at playing covers that they went straight into writing their own music because of that. And like, oh, man, we we really stink at trying to cover other people. So let's just write our own stuff that's like within our range. And they were massive fans of The Smiths, The Cure, New Order. And like when you listen to some early Smith stuff, which at this time only came out just a couple of years before, I definitely like hear the influences. Well, um, when you get to everything everyone else is doing it, I mean, uh, the producer, Stephen Street, yes. produced for the Smiths. So. Exactly. Exactly. That, that was their like number one pick for producers. And it was just the, the right people came together at the right time. So Niall was helping. He's like, well, let's, let's see if we can find you guys someone who, to sing, to front. Uh, and 
They tried a few other male singers and they just, they just didn't jive. And so a friend of Niles was like, I know this girl. And I think she may have went to school with her. She's like, I know this girl. She writes, she wants to do originals and she's, you know, she has this voice. You, you got to hear. Her. And so they brought her in. And at first sight, like, uh, she showed up in a pink track suit, just <laughs> green as grass with a little cast, like Casio keyboard. And the guys were like, <laughs> exactly. It's like they almost just nixed her on appearance alone. It's like, guy, like these guys to look at them. They look like they would have fit in, like, exactly in the Seattle grunge scene. They look like Nirvana groupies. And uh, <laughs> and here in walks this girl who looks like she just came from a jazzercise class. And they're like, guys, what are, what are you doing to us, Niall? And then she started to play and sing. And I think she did a Sinead O'Connor cover. And they were like, oh, my gosh. Okay how are you in a band already like how are you not in a band and she was very shy but was willing to work with them they're like okay let's they gave her dreams and gave her linger the instrumental versions and i think within a week she came back and i think had uh the lyrics to linger and had like a had a demo version ready and wow. uh yeah yeah th something about that had she has she been like a any sort of formal training or like our church as far as like, where did she develop her voice? Yeah, she grew up in the church. She developed, uh, as I think a choir singer. And, uh, they said always when, when she would start to play or sing, kind of the rest of them would get quiet. People would want to listen. And she had a <laughs> piano teacher that tried to give her vocal direction. Like, Oh no, you can't, do this you you need to go here and Dolores was just having none of that she's like I will never have another vocal coach again I'm gonna do my own thing and uh so she's always had this little rebellious streak uh in her but her voice is just so unique and so yeah I, I couldn't give you another name that sounds like her I mean it's it's and I, I'm not saying yodeling in a in a negative context. I mean, when she vocalizes in that that long yodel uh, fashion, and I don't know, maybe there is an accurate word for it. I just don't know it. Uh, it just mm -hmm. it's it's beautiful. It, it is. I think there is some traditional Irish singing that uh, uh, emulates that. I think some of that uh, more back of the throat singing, mm -hmm. but I. I, I just love the quality of her voice. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's so unique. So, yeah, once they kind of got together and started gelling, they were like, well, let's, let's try a live gig. And I think it went okay. Uh, Dolores was so shy. She kept trying to devise ways for the crowd not to look at her. And the guys were still figuring out how to stand, like, to get the right sound. But it wasn't horrible. And so they just, they were just green. They just needed time to practice. But they were very, very hardworking. So they started to really get their act together. 
there ended up being sort of this behind the scenes bidding war of who was actually going to sign these guys. Um, Cause they started to figure out what they had when they put linger on a demo tape. Cause their equipment was so crappy that like Dolores was singing through a guitar amp and getting <laughs> drowned out and they couldn't really hear her. So they went to a studio, I think to make a demo and brought her levels up, got her, you know, got everything adjusted. And they were like, Oh my gosh, like, Oh, okay. This is how we could sound. This is amazing. So put yourself back in that, you know, nineties, nineties, uh, mentality, you know, when you actually got that cassette and you were able to hear the whole thing, I mean, what was, what was going through your mind and, and how did you feel at that point? It, it was just joy. I think just feeling like I, I, I was just connecting with something on, on a very personal level, even though like I'm 12 years old, I haven't experienced much in the terms of uh, heartache or relationships or life experience, but there was something I was connecting to in this music. And I think part of it was, I, I remember at this time too, we had the assignment of you start delving into your own family history. Mm -hmm. And we had to do, I think, a report, write a short story about our heritage. I want to say just like culturally, I am as American as a piece of cornbread. But <laughs> like my heritage is Irish. And like, yeah, my finally it was like, oh, you go to grandma's house. It's like, OK, sit there with your little notepad. Like, grandma, where are we from? Like, I have to do a report uh, for school. She's like, well, your great grandma, who I knew I used to live across the street from her. She's like, well, your great grandma was the first one born here, but her older two sisters were born in Ireland. Like they're from Waterford. And it's like, oh, OK, tell me more. And, you know, oh, yeah, you're. Your great great grandfather, my grandfather, had a very thick brogue and he talked about the Blarney Stone. And, you know, it was this, I was eating up every bit of it because cool. anything sounded, you know, foreign, you know, anything foreign or outside of Illinois sounded exotic. Right. And uh, so, yeah, my family came over here through Ellis Island. But my great great grandmother's name was on it, but not my great great grandfather's. And so my my grandma said he technically stowed away uh, to get here for work because they heard jobs were here. So I just I just ate it up. I loved it. And when I found out that this band was Irish, I mean it's obviously Irish. Uh, I was like, oh, my people. <laughs> so it's like there's some some connection there. And then lo and behold. I'm Irish on the other side as well. The Blackburns, uh, my dad's side of the family, came over here from Ireland as well. But they came over here in 1675. So apparently they were basically like an indentured servant. It's like, mm -hmm. I will pay for your passage to come over here. You will work on my land. And when you've worked your like five years, then you get a parcel of land. And so they came in to Virginia 
uh, in like the 1670s or something like that. And they've been here ever since. And I've actually been to Ireland. I went a couple of years ago and because I never got to go with my grandma. She was uh, in poor health uh, by the time I was I was uh, able to go. And but I'm glad I'm really glad I got to go and see it because she never did. And so I brought back all my pictures and got to sit with her and tell her all about it. That's really cool. Yeah, that was it was very meaningful being there. And also just when you see Ireland, it makes you so sad that so many people had to leave a country that was so beautiful just simply because there there was no work you know, for them that that would support them and you know offer they had to leave for their survival and uh yeah it was so funny i went to waterford and i was at the crystal factory and one of the workers oh so why did you come here you know would you why why did you want to come to ireland and i'm like oh my, my family's from here he's like what oh what's the name i go kinsella ah kinsellas oh yeah we had a few working here so apparently the the still greatest amount of Kinsellas still live in that area. And then uh, I was in a completely different part. I was in Northern Ireland and our bus driver, he's like, hey, hey, uh, the tour guide, she has your name. And I was like, my name? And I, I stopped her. I go, you're a, you're a Blackburn? She goes, oh, yeah, I just married one. I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so like I... Like encountered connections to both halves of my family wow. uh, <laughs> while going over there, and so I think that that's how I connected with that music as well on another level. There's just something. There's some like string to past cultural heritage. I think some through line. Well done on the accent too, by the way. Oh, I love accents, and I love. I love that, like, there are so many bands that lose their accent as soon as they start, you know, so many singers, they lose it when they start singing. Like, I, for the longest time as a kid, like, I didn't know Elton John was British until he spoke in an interview. And I think Eric Clapton, <laughs> too. Like, I was like, what? What? Oh, oh yeah, there's there's a lot of classic rock Brits that, 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 that is definitely, that definitely happens. You don't realize where they're from until you hear, like, yes. an interview or something. Yes, but then there are those few where it's like, oh, yeah, Dolores is unmistakably Irish. And uh, the the guys actually commented on that, that, you know, they're like, oh, you know, would she think about, sh you know, lessening the accent to make the music more palatable or something? It's like, oh, you wouldn't even think of making that suggestion to Dolores. Like, she was very proud of where she was from. And it's like you you don't tell her what to do in when it comes to altering her identity. <laughs> well, and if, if you think of like other Irish bands, you mentioned Sinead earlier. Uh, mm -hmm. She's from Ireland, too, isn't she? Yeah, I believe so. I think so. Yeah. But I mean, the one song that I know from her, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't guess Irish. Mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously you have U2, which. Yes. Occasionally. But I mean, just by the by Bono's vocals i mean he, that doesn't have the the irish you know the heavy irish i guess i'll say you know something maybe mm -hmm. maybe the early songs do and it could come too from them trying to emulate what was popular as mm -hmm. well um 
that could be part of it. But I think Dolores just focused on her songwriting is extremely personal. And so and she knows she's got something in her voice and she is fully prepared to experiment. For only being 18, 19, 20 when she wrote these lyrics, I mean, she, she's been burned. You know, she- I know. Oh, my gosh. It's like this poor woman. Like so much of that went over my head as a kid because, you know, you're just 12 <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I'm in the emotion of the music. I'm just letting it wash over me. And it's like you catch a phrase here or there. But the themes don't really hit you, I think, until you're older and you've experienced those things. And you're like, oh, man, yep, yep, been there, sister. I I feel you. Yeah, definitely. And as I do with all these albums that, that come on the show, you know, I'll listen to it and get my initial impressions. And then I'll listen to it again with the lyrics in front of me. And, you know, that this is another one where that definitely helped. <laughs> There's a certain. Yes. I, I have trouble with dialects sometimes, and I, I definitely missed a lot of lyrics on just, just regular listening. Oh, I, I did as well. I, in, in doing this deep dive, I realized there were many lyrics I was, I've been singing wrong for the past 20-some uh, years. <laughs> and, but it didn't change my appreciation or like it didn't ruin the song. Um, it still sort of had the same, the same effect. But yeah, so Luke and I are also big fans of uh, of Tom York and Radiohead, and he is one that does not um, yes. put as much effort into enunciation. His voice is an instrument, as is Dolores's, and so she is trying to evoke. That's a good way to put it. I like that. Yeah, the the, the, yeah. the, the those very unique singers that their voice themselves is is an uh, of unique instrument of the band. Yeah, she's playing her voice, you know, and uh, there's so many neat things she does with her voice throughout this this album. That's why it's kind of kind of amazing that she's just untrained. That's that's self taught, natural. That, that like I say that she does so many different things with her voice as far as the the length of chords and the in the highs and lows. It's very very impressive. Yeah, I think music was a real escape for her. But yeah, walk me through the album the way you listen to it. You know, do you skip around now or do you go front to back? Uh, how do you do this? I I really do like going front to back. I think there were a couple. I'll mention a couple that I kind of would skip, you know, as I, I'm like, okay, I, I'm not feeling that energy today. You know, skip, skip to linger or something like that. But uh, we'll just start start right off with uh, I Still Do, track number one. Soon as I hear this song, I just picture I am sitting in the front seat of my mom's van, like looking out the window in this like the world just sort of disappears and it's just you go internal to this song. And I've heard Fergal say that this is his favorite track, I think, on the album besides the singles. Like they they kind of got the play, but and I really enjoy this song too. And I am so enamored with the placement of this song. 
So it is the perfect prelude to dreams. I, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. It's, it's like they know. It's like dreams is a very powerful, upbeat track. And so it's like, okay, we're going to hype this. That's I, what I feel like. <laughs> I used in my notes the word haunting a lot. And that mm-hmm. creates a very haunting atmosphere. Very certain songs do, and this one just right off the bat, it's say it's 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 building that haunting atmosphere that does lead beautifully into dreams. It's almost like a uh, one long intro. You could look at it that way. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's like they know what's coming is a little too powerful, so they're just gonna we're gonna slowly kind of build up for it. We're gonna kind of prepare you for what's coming but also lyrically i think it sums up the whole album as well just in the lines i don't want to love you oh i still do like that you hear that in several of the songs like repeated it's this whole cycle in and out of love in and out of love yes it's like you're and we've all been there it's like whether it's a toxic relationship, they're cheating on you, they're, you're just not right for each other, or you're outgrowing each other. Dang it, you still carry that flame. And like this album touches on that. Yeah, damn near every song is a, a version of that. <laughs> uh, I usually try to write down you know, something of, of what the particular song is meant to mean. And, and that got uh, a little repetitive as far as it's true yes when you actually look at the album lyrically it's like okay all right she's she's fallen in love a lot uh not i I won't say that she's fallen in love she's she's been burned and she's still uh yeah not necessarily carrying a flame or or she's over it uh there's a couple Mm -hmm. on there that are definitely like okay i'm I'm tired of your crap i'm glad you're gone yes yes uh it's not like it's a concept album where it's the cycle of a relationship because the the chronological relationship thing that that doesn't happen here but it's definitely the theme of relationships begin and the relationships end yes yes which i mean what else are you going to write about when you're 18 (laughs) 19 (laughs) 20 years old it's like this is how this is your diary this is how you're processing the world through your own you know heartache and and heartbreak and and so we get this introduction this really easy going i i call it jangly surfer guitar like that's what i i kind of think of it the drums are very sparse those irish surfers yeah they're they're all (laughs) this irish they're surrounded by coasts everywhere um and you know very sparse drums on this track um and they have that slight distortion effect to them um, and some like it almost sounds like waves crashing yeah. in a very simple bass line. And there's like the couple just piano notes. It's just like a single note and the bass is kind of following that increasing piano note. It's just a single tone. It's just a slow burn mm-hmm. upward. And yeah, Dolores is haunting on this. And and I say the best uh, person to accompany Dolores is Dolores. She does that a lot. And I, I've grown up in with church singing all my life. And 
I've been in situations too. Like I come from a tiny, tiny town. So when I say I'm in a church choir, sometimes it's like, oh, we got five people that showed up today. Great. But the majority of the time, like now, especially since COVID, like the past COVID years and my choir curls have graduated and moved on, uh, like literally moved out of state. Uh, oftentimes it's just me and an organ. Uh, I don't play organ, so I have to sing with whenever we can get an organist. But I've been in those situations where you have you have the luxury of, say, four-part, even three-part harmony. And Dolores knows those parts. And so she knows how to sing a melody line. She knows how to sing a descant over, you know, this accent over mm -hmm. the melody and then accompany maybe with an alto line. She knows those parts in that breakdown. And so she accompanies herself often. She double tracks too. A lot of times she's singing along and she'll just deviate a little bit um, just to add, uh, to add some texture. And it kind of so sounds like there's more there, you know, than there is. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. Yeah, I love how, just how cavernous this sounds. Like, yeah, it's just echoing. Uh, you hear some studio albums where you're like, are these guys just in a tiny carpeted room? Like, there's no sense of space. You sound like you're standing on top of each other. But this, like, almost feels like they're in some big loft. I could, I could see uh, that, yeah somewhere so yeah i love toward the end of the sound the song too when you hear just this it's almost like this exhale sound and an inhale before dreams starts mm -hmm. and uh yeah i just i just love that i don't know what was what was your uh impression to to me this one uh it makes me vision like sloping green fields of ireland yeah, that's the I'm trying to trying to think of how to put this into into words. I mean, I don't want to go all stereotypes and say like Stonehenge or something, but there's like yeah, like that, that's, ruins. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, you know, there's just the the things you see on a on a UK documentary of sort, where just the uh, you know long fields, not like um, not the you know urban decay of like central Dublin or something. You know, I'm talking like the picturing like the Irish fields, the green. Yeah, that's that's just the, mm -hmm. the the image that I get. You know, when when this album first starts, the green. I love that you commented on the green. That was one thing I really noticed when I was over there. It was like the green over here does not exist, like in back in the U.S. Like when I was over there, it's like this is like RGB green, and we have dark <laughs> CMYK green. It's like this is like a perpetual spring. It's almost neon and lush. Look, my my idiot uh my idiot American vision of of Ireland, unfortunately or fortunately, it's it's, it's almost formed by the commitments. Uh <laughs> one of my favorite movies, but there's there's this great line in there where he's they're getting their band picture together and he's like, I'm after urban decay. <laughs> that was their goal you know they're the working class band of, of dublin this is not that this is the exact opposite of that and it's just I, I, almost like a the the sound of it not the not the lyrics the sound is like a love letter mm -hmm. to ireland yes 100 percent. yeah and they were from limerick which is 
a wonderful I name it's, in itself. Yes. Oh, it's so great. It's kind of the southwest part. It's not too far from Galway. Um, but And she's from even farther outside the the town or the city. So she's from more the countryside. Um, so they're from, I was like, oh, they're also somewhat Midwesterners, <laughs> if you think about it. Like Midwest yeah. of Ireland, Midwest of I have of, zero of, uh, knowledge Illinois. of the geography of Ireland. Uh, you know, other than that, it's you know there. So that, that that's on me. Yeah, it's pretty now. quick to learn. The whole country is only the size of, of like the state of Maine, I think. Right. So it's pretty pretty easy to to encapsulate. So dreams, instant classic so on dreams. that one. Uh, yeah, everyone knows dreams. Yes, so this is my favorite song, not only on the album, but of all time. Like, I think just because the, it just feels like one that I latched on to, and it just takes me to this almost spiritual place of pure joy. And I, I just, I just think that this is one of those near perfect songs i used to kind of waffle back and forth whether i liked dreams or linger uh more but dreams just kept coming back to me and i think it's just the upbeat um nature of this one yeah, i'm with you on that and not i mean dreams is uh i'm sorry linger is a wonderful tune and, and we'll get to that one but, but dreams is uh every everything went right on this particular track yes whatever they were trying yes. to do uh with her singing and their their playing uh and her lyrics because it's it's a song about falling in love and it's all very joyful and happy and there's there's no you know cliff at the end where everything you know goes to crap it's just it's a beautiful song and everything goes right on 100 percent. oh my gosh yeah so it's more upbeat, has this driving tempo, and I am so in love with Fergal's drumming on this song. I think, like I picture this, this, you know, this is one of those songs that they were kind of finding their stride, I think, and figuring out what they could all do. And I think he encapsulates just this nervous, like jittery excitement you get when you're anticipating something, like just those little fills happen just the right moments for me like yes like that's exactly where i would want to put a beat <laughs> it's amazing that this was one of the first songs they wrote together that you know that like before she was even in the band like you said you know, she wrote the lyrics that was part of their her intro to the band it's amazing that they wrote this so early i mean because everything does you know work and, you know, some bands are just like that because it's almost like they weren't trying too hard. You know, they didn't really have a clear picture of themselves. Mm -hmm. There was no expectation, really. They were just trying to make it work and figure it out. They weren't well established. They were just trying to get on their feet. So there was really no pressure. 
And so they just had this space. And I mean, the guys had lived with this song as an instrumental song for a while. And so they could all kind of get some traction and kind of figure it out. And she was just the missing piece that brought it all together. And I, I have a specific memory of this song because uh, I remember on my first trip to Chicago, uh, was I think was when I was around 12 or so, 12 or 13. And I had, I had my little cassette player. And I remember I had my cassette queued up to the song and I was just waiting. We were, I was sitting in the back of the car and my parents and I were driving. And as soon as the like Chicago skyline came into view, I pressed play. <laughs> I was like, I wanted, I, I wanted this song to like soundtrack part of my life. And it sounds so cheesy, but like, because I, I think I associated that, that song just with joy and adventure and something new that like, yeah, it was like this, you know, you're looking around, you're like, yeah, this is the song I want to have when I, when I first, when this comes into view. And, uh, so it's, it's so silly, but it's, I don't know. It's a fond memory. <laughs> that is corny and adorable. You know, all, all at once. You got to love it. Good memory there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I've loved... Uh, so in prepping for this, I watched a number of interviews with the guys. And sadly, some of them were more recently after Dolores had passed. And they had uh, released their their last album. But then, of course, you know, they got them talking about, you know, what were the early days like? And have you revisited, you know, the music? And they remastered the tracks a couple years ago. And then uh, more recently, Analog Spark released the vinyl uh, album of this. And uh, Luke gifted it to me because he's like, I think you need to own this and you need to have nice. this. It was ripped straight from, you know, the original tapes. And, oh my gosh, it sounds amazing on vinyl. I was just listening to it today. Um, everything sounds just lush and warm and so full. So the guys in the band were talking about kind of re-listening to this album all the way through in doing the remaster. And because I don't think they had heard it in so many years because, you know, when you're a band and you're on tour, people want to hear the hits. And there's probably a number of songs that they hadn't played since they first went on tour. And they were actually pleasantly surprised uh, at how well it held up and how good it sounded as a whole. Um, beings that they were so green. And he's like, literally, we were throwing every trick we knew, like anything we knew. This like it's all we left no cards uh, <laughs> in our hand. We we put everything on the table, and uh, they said probably if they were better musicians, if they were more experienced, they would have destroyed this album because they would have had too many, I think, egos and experience vying for attention. That's interesting. And 
And I think about that in terms of like, I watched a great British baking show a lot. And to hear them describe flavor profiles and how flavor works and when they taste something and they're like, you just have too many ideas going on in here. You know, the the pistachio is competing with, you know, the passion fruit. And then you've got hazelnut. They're like, it's not working. They're like, there's no hero flavor. And so I, I always picture like Dolores is the hero flavor and they were the lesser, you know, the accompanying things, just the right combination of things, but not to overpower her. And so that it all kind of, they work to support that and she ties all of them together. And I just thought that was an interesting way to to sort of view it that they they realized they're like had we been better musicians this album would have sucked there's <laughs> probably a lot of bands that uh you know that's they've fallen into that you know uh, <laughs> an, an amazing first or second album and then you know, as they get better whether it's ego or perfectionism uh you know start to conflict and the the balance and the symmetry that existed when they were green is no longer there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just, you can't get too much in your head. Yeah. It's like you have to serve the song and not yourself. It's like, what is best for the song and as a group. And also I think the producer, um, I think Steven did a really good job. Um, They fell in with just the right person. And obviously they were such big fans of the Smiths. And so they're like, well, let's try and see if we could get him, like if he'd be available, if he would take us on. And so they got his attention and he essentially said, "Okay, I will give you one trial week and we will see how this goes. And uh, he was only like in his early 30s. He's only like, yeah, wasn't but had maybe 10 years on them, but he was, you know, known. And uh, he realized in that week, he saw how much they got done and how hardworking they were and decided to take them on. What they didn't know is that I believe he had seen them play live and they didn't realize it. (laughs) Uh, He had seen them at a gig and kind of was aware of them uh, before this and... uh, they said the only thing that was funny about him, now they jived really well, but their accents were so thick and they talked so fast. He had to tell them like, guys, guys, can you, can you repeat yourselves? Can you slow down? Uh, <laughs> so there was a little bit, you're not the only one who, who struggles with the, with the dialect. I can just imagine a, a band argument in the, uh, you know, not being able to understand a damn word they're saying because they're they get heated and yell at each other. <laughs> right, right, and they're using their local slang. I can I can only imagine, yeah. <laughs> Just him being like, guys, guys, can uh, what was that? And I've seen I've seen videos of like the uh, the Gallagher brothers going at it, you know, and then as they get angry and they're hardcore Manchester accent, they're like, what in the hell? Did oh they say? man. Oh man, yeah, there are certain UK dialects uh, that are so thick. Um, there, there are some that verge on the sound of you know the Irish dialects, 
and stuff. But I, yeah, I love it though. I, I do love hearing, uh, hearing their accent. But the way the Irish language is, it kind of rolls onto itself. So when you really get going, you really get talking very fast. It, it just keeps building and building, and you're, you know, you get faster and faster. And it's like a shorthand. And uh, so I can only imagine like a number of people uh, that would drive drive some people a bit batty. But but Stephen had a, a great uh, ear, I believe, with dealing with Dolores's voice. He did treat it like an instrument. And so he just he knew how to like, OK, adjust levels and uh, treat it as such. and. Yeah, yeah. The this band in the hands of the wrong producer could that could have killed. Yeah, it that would have been disastrous. Well. I'm glad they they you know synced up with him. Which probably, probably move on and and uh, yes, on a, yes, another track here. So on to Sunday, which kind of keeps up uh, the tempo. It's a very up tempo uh, song, very catchy. I love that this is sort of the dizziness of being in love. And you're coming off, you know, that high energy of dreams. Yeah, I I loved this song when I heard it. I thought this was this was one of my takeaway tracks. I usually try to take away you know, three or four tracks from an album. This is one of the ones I, I put, I'm putting on the playlist. Uh, but I really like this one. I liked the, it was very sweet guitar intro and then a nice transition mm-hmm. to the main, main chunk of the song. Uh, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure why it's called Sunday. I'm not sure why either. <laughs> I guess I never heard the story uh, behind the. I looked uh, and after, after looking at the lyrics and stuff, like what? Yeah, I got to the end, like, why the hell is this called Sunday? I, I don't know. I always think of another song on another album when she uh, mentions Sunday. And so I think that's where my mind, my mind goes. But yeah, I loved this song, too, as a kid. I was like, oh, I can. Because this is one of those songs where when I look at the meaning of it, you're kind of, you're in the throes of love. You can't really get perspective yet. You're just your mm-hmm. world is kind of up, upheaved, and yeah, you don't know where you stand. There's that nervous confusion too. You're still in the fog of war at that point. You know, there's no clarity yet. Yes, yes. You're just you're just in it, um, and enjoying it. You know, even though you may feel a little nauseous, <laughs> it's still. It's it's a good one. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, let's bring the energy down a little bit with pretty. So it was funny. I was I was listening to Surrealistic Pillow by Jefferson Airplane, um, that album recently. And that one's from 67. And the song called Today uh, started playing. And I'm like, I started humming 
the lyrics to Pretty. I was like, this sounds so similar. And so I started typing. I was like, has anyone noticed the similarity between these two songs? And I saw someone said they they were just made the comment wondering, like, was Dolores influenced by Grace Slick in any way? And when I think about Grace Slick's voice, because I mainly listened to that album because of White Rabbit. That's uh, such a cool track. But it's one of those vocal performances where you're like, oh, you almost can't separate the voice from the song. Like if anyone tried to cover that song, it's always going to sound like a cheap knockoff. Yeah, that that early Jefferson Airplane, I could definitely see the vocal comparison uh, now that I think about it. Now, when you get into Jefferson Starship or Starship, that range of Grace Lee, I mean, her voice is different, you know, over the... Mm-hmm over the career but but that early jefferson airplane I, yeah i could definitely see that yeah it's like she had quite the instrument but yeah this was i i i really enjoy this song and she kind of you start getting this um some of dolores's personality i think coming through in this song she's got this through line of anger that's just beneath the surface and i i like to say that her you know, when you look at Dolores as a package and hear her voice, it's like, oh, she's like a stained glass window, you know, just this beautiful spiritual thing. But if you run your fingers along the edge of that glass, she will cut you. She will cut you deep. That that's a that, that that's a really good metaphor there. That's kind of like what I feel with this song, and she's she's sort of calling out women's percep you know perception of women and women's perception of themselves, but then other people's objectification. And uh, she struggled with that as well. I mean, she was very, became very comfortable, I think, in her skin. And she was really quite a style icon in her rebelliousness. Like, she had people telling her, like, oh, you know, in the early days, maybe you should style your hair this way or do it that way. And she's like, screw it. And she just chopped it all off. And had that boyish short pixie cut kind of like challenging them like what are you going to tell me to do with my hair now and uh i think part of it too was also just the fact that she was touring with a bunch of guys she was in a full just male world with these three guys their tour manager and uh and stuff living like in and out of tour vans and then buses i'm like she probably cut her hair off because it was just easier to manage (laughs) Could be, yeah. But also, it was, it was just, I think, a defiance of, uh, of the stereotypes. But yeah, when she was, when she started out, she was so green. She just, she was just had her baby fat, and then she's like, oh, I get so, you know, ticked when people write about my weight and all of that because she got so thin throughout the tour, and people were like, oh, no. You know, then they're tearing tearing her apart and like, oh, you're anorexic, you're this and that. And she's like, she goes, it's not my fault that when I hit my 20s, my baby fat just disappeared and I'm running around on stage for an hour every other night. She's like, you got to be pretty fit. I, I don't think she could keep weight on. And that was just, but of course, people fixate on that. And yeah. uh, she she had a lot of frustrations with that. But I I love this song in that it's so delicate 
she keeps it very, very soft, but really explores the space. You know, normal pop singers, they if they got this song, they'd be like, you know, you're so pretty the way you are. They, it's like I imagine they're sending their voice down a tunnel. And it's like, okay, I'm getting from point A to point B. But then you give that same song to Dolores. And Dolores is like, I'm going to explore the space. Like, she's like, you're so pretty the way you are. You're so pretty. You know, she's like, I'm going to go down below. I'm going to go up the sides of this tunnel. Is there a hole up top? I'm going to go out that vent and come back in. And so that's what I love about her voice. Is she's like, I will fully explore every space there is, you know, from point A to point B. So, so my note on this song, and this is verbatim, says, very simple lyrics on repeat, but O'Riordan's vocals create such a fascinating illusion that it is so much more. Uh, that is an excellent, excellent description. I love that. And haunting. Back to haunting. <laughs> Back to haunting. Yes. She yes. just, her voice like immediately comes with its own built-in echo. It's like a lot yeah. of people sing kind of up front and she's singing from some cavernous space in the back. Definitely. And yeah. Yeah. And it becomes, she really, really dies in in the, in the coming song. So if we switch to, to waltzing back, the next track, this is one as a kid, I think I skipped over uh, often because oh, yeah? I think because I have greater appreciation for it now. And, uh, but back then, I think it was so hard to understand quite what she was saying as well. She goes full Irish on this song. I think this is like Irish crank to 11. When I when I look at this uh, song, it's and it's it's just it's a lot. It's a heavy song. So there's that nice distorted, you know, guitar up top um, and heavy on the bass. Um, and it wasn't until you know later on that I realized it's like oh, the way she's singing, she is trying to be honest instead of being pretty. And I. I see that too when, li like, I went back and listened to Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill from 95, and I notice a lot of similarities. And it's like, I could hear Dolores almost do a straight cover of Head Over Feet. And I'm like, Alanis is very confessional and does some of her own vocal venting and kind of similar range. But Dolores kind of takes a far more melodic and atmospheric approach. Um, but then I think of other artists. I'm like, oh, okay, like Fiona Apple, early Gwen Stefani. They're not really singing to be pretty. They're singing to get an idea or an emotion across. And uh, yeah, you can just hear like Dolores's anger kind of bubbling just below the surface and it's starting to surface. And yeah, it's just, it is one of those ones that it's, it's strong. It's such a strong flavor. Just, 
And yeah, it was funny actually reading the lyrics. I'm like, okay, this is what that song was about. It's like that. Waltzing back into your life, your life, your life. It's like, wow, she added a lot of syllables to life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I liked this one. uh, And this is another of my takeaways as far as uh, I liked hearing that little harder. They they Mm -hmm. stepped it up. Not not quite zombie level of of uh, of hardness or angry, but it was definitely. Uh, the hardest on the album so far, and it was, and I and I like that they they brought the anger to the forefront with these. Uh, as we talked about relationship lyrics, you know, this could this could be applied to anything, you know, personal as far as or even political. I know they've like what zombies about and other things, and you know, mm-hmm. they're they're in on the. I'm not trying to get into their politics, but I this could mean you could apply this song to anything of oppression. Yes. Yes. I I see this, yeah, this could be far broader in that sense, or it could simply be those people in your life who mm-hmm. just sort of waltz back in like nothing happened and like they weren't the cause of something. And you're like, what Yeah, gives them to the right, you know, and you don't want to be judgmental, but you are and that they're here to take something away from you as well so yeah this that's a good observation that this is also a very it could be personal or it could apply to yeah any sense of of oppression that's an interesting take but yeah they definitely started to show that they have some heavier chops when it that they can get loud and that she can as well and really start mm-hmm. to to cut loose a little bit I think is my 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 take on it was was the connection to zombie as far as they were similar in that angry Dolores voice. Yes, yes, and I like her range on this too. She she goes very you know very out, but then she gets very quiet. You know what are they gonna do? What are they gonna say? Taking you away? You know gets and then she gets loud again, and so there's that good contrast. She doesn't just sing in one, you know register one range through the whole thing she's she's exploring the space (laughs) so then uh not sorry not sorry this also has one of my favorite uh misheard lyrics in it (laughs) i always thought she said i'm not sorry if i ate you and swallowed you They're like, wow, that's harsh. That's harsh, Dolores. What are they doing, Ireland? (laughs) It's like, wow, okay, okay. But yeah, it was, and then I'm like, oh, it's like, I'm not sorry if I do insult you. It's like, oh, it's not ate you and swallowed you? Okay. (laughs) I think I like ate you and swallowed you better, but it still works. Still it's still enjoyable. I I made a note that this uh this song has a really uh full sound. Really a really lush sound to it. Uh I made a note of the the nice piano start to it. Uh which mm-hmm. for some reason that jumped out at me. Uh but then uh it's another 
angry song like uh i know poor dolores she's been lied to a lot yeah she this girl's been burned i i hope uh maybe she was writing about somebody else and just right once around her i hope she wasn't burned this much i know i know she did have something really tragic happen to her in her childhood um i don't know if some of that is coming out in this but i also know that uh yeah she yeah she's had a couple of relationships she didn't have many relationships yet, but she, the few that she had, she definitely she, put into this song. She's like, I'm not sorry if I insult you. I'm not sorry if I detest you. I'm like, damn. <laughs> you, you lied. <laughs> and I cried <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. She's been put through the ringer. And which is so, it's so funny. Like, this was the end of side A. Um, so it's like, oh, okay. Really. D- Really dark. Okay, that, that that makes sense. I mean, to to end the first half with say waltzing back and then that's sorry that 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 makes a lot of sense. Because because this one doesn't necessarily flow into linger all all that great, but uh, but <laughs> to have to have the two sides that that works. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then we get to linger, linger, which is probably one of the most one of the most ubiquitous of their songs. She wrote this song about her feelings following the breakup of her first boyfriend um, who broke her heart. And so this is, she said, this is the way she reacted to infatuation. And, you know, Linger is kind of about her first kiss, her first love. And which, you know, as when your first of anything happens, that's going to linger throughout your life because it was your first encounter. And, uh, but also it speaks to the nature of the relationship. Like he, I think he was messing around on her, but still like trying to keep things going with her. So it's like, why are you letting this relationship, this relationship keep lingering when you know, it's not gonna, not gonna last, but she was true on, her end and you know there's those memories it's it's bittersweet you know it's the bittersweetness of love and it's just such a gorgeous song bittersweet is a good way to to describe the the lyrics here Uh, it it reached the the ending everyone knew was going to happen but it's not the ending that makes everybody happy but what's funny is it's used like it's such a pretty song like if you didn't say you heard this in another language kind of would you know what would you see the dark side of that or would this sound just like a beautiful love song no it it would be the you would assume that the you would assume it's it's a nice happy love song yeah that's just the best way to put it that's because the the melody the music musicianship of it is very upbeat. It's very happy sounding, uh, but the lyrics definitely have a deeper meaning that you wouldn't get just by the surface. Yeah, and it's got the strings, you know, the strings in it that just add, you know, add to that romance. Mm-hmm. 
And this, yeah, this is the first track that she and Noel wrote together. He's he's always credited, I think, on most of the tracks as also a writer, because I think he kind of figures out how how she fits with the rest of uh, the instruments and, you know, maybe is a good like soundboard or editor for her. And yeah, they they had no clue what this song would go on to become and how huge it would be. They actually said they realized they had made it when that they had really made it in the industry when every time they stopped at a hotel and they put on MTV, the linger video was <laughs> would come on. They're like, oh my gosh, this is playing like every hour on the hour. They're like maybe this is taking off <laughs> and yeah yeah the first time they recorded this yeah they had couldn't really hear her lyrics they didn't have the balance quite right and when they did that demo tape they really kind of realized what they had and they were like oh my gosh this is actually this is good <laughs> they i think she only wrote it in a week and uh yeah, it just it just blew up. And it's when they I, I'm picturing the video too. It's just a very it's a very black and white, like noir style video. I think it's shot in like a hotel. The guys are just sort of standing around, she's singing, and it's kind of very artsy. Uh <laughs> there's like a light shining, it's all black and white, very stark. And uh feels very much like some kind of Bauhaus art house film, but it suited. I think it just, it suited it. <laughs> yeah. What are your memory? When did you first encounter this song? Oh, uh, this song was everywhere. I mean, to the point of overplayed mm -hmm. and it, this was eventually, and, and I say it's, it's a beautiful song, but it was definitely one that it's like, yeah, go ahead and skip that. Now I've heard it <laughs> a million times plus one. Um, uh, but I do remember the video very clearly. Uh, it was always on and, uh, every, almost every time you turn on MTV, always. Mm -hmm. That's the thing too. There were such a, there were so few choices back then that you could really uh, have more of a, I, I don't know about that. Cause I mean, having MTV in the mid nineties was wonderful because I mean, the, the music scene and the change was just. It was an onslaught of so much great stuff. Mm -hmm. And, but somewhere it was just written in law that Linger needed to be played at the top of the hour every hour. You know, you will listen to Linger. It's like, <laughs> can you play Dreams? No, you will listen to Linger. You will. It's like <laughs> the power of MTV compels you to buy this. It was also played in, uh, like in a lot of movies and TV shows, too. I think I uh, want to say I remember it in, in uh, well, Dreams. I remember just from the the Karate Kid uh, the, uh, with Hilary Swank that movie. Mm -hmm. She's dancing with monks with to Dreams. That one I remember, but I can't remember Linger in any movies specifically. I'm sure it was because it's the perfect type of song for any you know teenage uh, romance movie to to misinterpret the lyrics. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and placed it in there. But I can't think of anything specific. 
I remember dreams showing up and 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 any time I hear a cranberry song show up in anything, I'm like, oh, oh, good. They're still around. Um, but even back then, like uh, Mission Impossible at the end of the movie, when they're like outside this cafe, I hear dreams playing in the background. I'm like, oh, oh, <laughs> it's like hearing or seeing an old friend walk by on screen. You're just like, oh. there, there it is. <laughs> Uh, and I think it was used in the intro to You've Got Mail. Might have been used in like Empire Records. Uh, yeah, whole rash of. I think there's some cranberries on Empire Records, but don't quote me on that. I'm pr- I think so, though. Yeah. So this is this is sort of the song that really, really well, put them on the map, you know? driven into people's heads, whether they liked it or not. <laughs> and also, what an odd. Odd, very sweet song to be playing on like an alt rock station as well, you know, in between. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. In, say, in like, between Jeremy and, and Smells Like Teen Spirit, you've got Linger. It's like, yeah. Right. Sure. Like, okay, this is a nice mint, like a good palate <laughs> cleanser, perhaps. <laughs> oh, okay. And then on to Wanted. I don't have a whole lot to say about this song other than I used to get the lyrics wrong. Uh, the first lyric, I thought she was saying, sitting in an ocean, and it's sitting in an armchair. Because I'm like, sitting in an ocean, my head between my hands. Like, oh, yeah, because they're near the coast. And it's like, nope, it's armchair. I'm like, oh, well, didn't completely ruin the song. Both work. Exactly. Both work completely. Yeah. Your head can be in your hands in the ocean or in an armchair. Doesn't I actually don't have a lot of notes for this one either, just other than they pick up the pace here with this one, Mm kind of ups it a little bit. Yeah. It's a quick in and out song. I think it's only mm. like two minutes. And uh, I did see a lovely uh, live performance of this early on in 93 on uh, YouTube. It was recording and Fergal. <laughs> Fergal has bongo drums, a shaker, and he's strapped a tambourine to his foot. They're playing a totally stripped down acoustic recorded uh, version of this for it was their okay. first television appearance in the Netherlands is so it's their first television appearance abroad and they played wanted and they play I will always and he's he's sitting there and he's just got this look of joy on his face like looking at her sing and he's playing along and I just love that it's a wonderful wonderful performance I have another note about that on uh on the I will always but yeah, I never got to see them live. So any time I get to see mm. them on there is really interesting. Well, next up we have Still Can't. Yep, still another upbeat, angry song. This is one though where I I have a, a note that I I really like the bass and the drums here. They they mm-hmm. shine in this particular track, and I, I liked this one. Yeah, 
this is it's very driving uh yes you can tell they're really enjoying it and uh boy poor dolores i i wrote down lying and gaslighting it's like <laughs> it's i wrote down the man. singer feels betrayed very betrayed yes yes and also that feeling of like i still can't recognize the way i feel like she's trying to figure out how to express what she's going through and yeah it's so dark yet melodic so you know her a lot of their yeah. songs are very yeah. paradoxical um, i have also upbeat haunting upbeat so, haunting yes Oh yes, and then on to uh, "I Will Always." I I enjoy this song so much. The had they let me pick the songs at our tiny little grade school dances, um, probably would have picked this one. it just feels like a slow dance song i immediately picture like you're holding your hands out like keeping room for the holy spirit and just like swaying keeping room for the holy spirit <laughs> just sway into this song um it's, well it's I it, it. but uh, maybe i misinterpreted it but i i i didn't take this as a love song per se I, to me this is acceptance after a breakup true true yeah but lyrically okay. again the lyrics not a, not um going along with sort of the mood of the song yeah it is a slow acoustic number with um which makes sense with what you said before they played the stripped down show so this, yes. this works well with that uh but the uh i i could yeah i could definitely see this as a great school dance song yeah, and to me, that's just, like, where my mind went when I was young. But now, like, reading the lyrics, you know, as I've gotten older, I I see this reflected in friendships and even people you work with. People who, you know, not everyone is meant to stay in your life completely all the way through it. Some people stay for a long time. Some people stay for a short time. Um, you know, you outgrow friends uh, and relationships and things. But then there's that through line of like, well, if you ever really needed me, I would be there for you. Like, yeah, even though like taking it out of sort of a relationship constant, you know, uh, a relationship uh, context, like even friendship. It's like we had to part ways but if stuff ever went down, like I'd 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 be there for you. That's another way that I interpret this song. I feel like you know we've all been there. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what they're they're saying. I will always go beside you, and you will always understand it. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, this one was gorgeous to see raw and live. In that, it, it was great because. You could tell it was a TV performance, but you could, it was like a studio setting. Mm -hmm. So literally they like show the guys at a mixing board and they're like, oh, okay, we're, uh, we're good to go. We're rolling. 
and and them on the other side of the glass, like all sitting very close together. Del- I don't think Dolores is wearing a lick of makeup. She's just she's got her eyes closed most of the time and kind of listening to herself. You know, she plays guitar in one of the songs. Um, and I think on Wanted, she just sang. But with this one, I think she was playing and singing. And I loved watching her. How her I'm like, how is she working her instrument and seeing mm. her? And so this was like May of 93. This was just two months after they got the album released. And um, oh, OK, yeah, so this is very, very early. In, OK, very early. Yeah. And I was sure what time frame and, this, this show was at. Yeah, and it was beautiful. She does this thing where she she kind of did it on the first way through the the chorus, but on the second pass, she sings without her lips touching or without her lips moving very much. So she's singing from the back. And so it's like that's that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you have W's and B's. Yeah, yeah. Like, but the way she makes the sounds, is she just, she's like, you're along with me for the ride. You know, you've heard the first chorus, you know the words. She's like, I'm going on a motion. And so it's, she's just kind of singing through her teeth. And it's like, I'll always go inside you. It's so raw. Um, but it was fascinating to just to watch. And it was just a really intimate performance. And just the little like looks and winks they were giving each other too. Like, you know, Noel made a look like when he hit something guitar, like, oh, I don't know if I quite did that right. And she's like, so I'm like, I, I think we did okay. They, you know, they... <laughs> They were still so new, and it was it was adorable. It was they it were was, kids. They were they just were kids. Just kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then moving on to how uh, I made a note: drums heavy, driven. Sort of. This is the last burst of energy before the end of the record. Yes, and I have another note here. But this is the another one where the. The rhythm section is setting the pace well with the angry vocals. Yeah, it's like okay, you had your little, you had your little soft song, and now we're back to we're still angry. Still a little angry, but you're getting closer, I think, to some resolution. You know, never before, never again. Yeah. You're getting closer to some absolutes there. And then uh, and then it ends with this. Sorry, I, did you? Oh, no, no. So I was just agreeing with you. It's, it's the, uh, the you know, how, how did we let it? How did I let you do this to me? Yeah. Uh, sort of you're, you're getting more perspective. Like as time. Mm-hmm goes on you're you're starting to you're out of the haze of uh you know yes the dreamy the dreamy fog of love and you're starting to see the harsh light of day so then you know 
it calmly, you know, brings the album back to a calming end with the Put Me Down. This song gives me some real strong, like, Twin Peaks uh, vibes. Oh, I can't believe you said that. I actually had that in my notes, and I deleted it. No, really? Yes. Really? I, I didn't know if that was going to be way too <laughs> off topic. But the uh, the intro music, and I can't remember the guy's name that makes it. Angelo Badalamenti. That's it. Yeah. That And, and he does and he scores the series. It, it really does sound like it at times. Very much so. Yes, I I don't know what about it, but it just struck me because I still go back and I listen to that like season one, season two soundtrack. I love the original soundtrack to Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Angelo's just that low key music and then that Julie, Julie Cruz singing. It's another type of music that is hard to to label and very unique. It, yeah, I I think of like the smoky roadhouse where that Julie is just singing, crooning, like mm-hmm. real, just soft, beautiful, depressing music. Well, and the the music and and maybe there's a connection there. I I don't know, but like the when I hear the theme to to Twin Peaks, you know, I'm thinking the woods, the sawmill, uh, the the quiet, uh, the the single streetlight dangling. But you know, there is darkness underneath everything you're seeing that's like yes. that kind of that, the whole point of the show and with the sweet lyrics that you'll hear throughout this album and on this track you know there's there's a darkness underneath it that maybe you just don't see yet yes yeah like the two of the main characters who are falling in love but they're investigating their friend's murder you know <laughs> so there is that that yeah. paradoxical you know, contrast, but there's just something, there's something about that. Um, yeah, I wrote, I wrote uh, a note on this song, finally leaving his ass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she, she can't do it anymore. She's like, I want to forgive you. I want, you know, I want to be in love. We're meant to forgive each other, but you always keep proving me wrong. And so yeah she's like i can't can't do this anymore i decided to leave and walked through the door she's done it was a good way to close out the album nice nice ending track yeah i think the cranberries have a really good history of last tracks i'm thinking of um some of the ones that uh that i've heard and they all they're always kind of slow and very poignant as well um because when i mean when this fell into my life uh you know late 90s so they had been on a bit of a break and so by the time i kind of got caught up to where they were so i i remember getting no need to argue i think i bought that used at like a co-op store amazing album as well amazing follow-up the fact that they were touring for two years and like working on that as well and that that dropped just a year or so after this album did 
just is amazing. Um, so, and then to the faithful departed, wasn't as big of a fan of that one. I need to revisit it a bit because it just, it just didn't catch for me. So then at that time I was kind of moving out of the cranberries and into Coldplay and, you know, other bands as I was discovering just, you know, when iTunes came along and all that, everything just sort of opened up. I was sort of, it's like, okay, I'm growing up. I'm, I'm discovering different things um, and being exposed to more people. Like I went from a class of seven people in grade school to like 270 in high school. So it's like, oh, okay, everything's sort of hitting at once. But the Cranberries were also still a through line in 2001, uh, or maybe it was 90, let's see, 99. I'm trying to think of their disc. Yeah, 99, Barry the Hatchet came out. And I remember, I think I got that for Christmas. And I have just fond memories. I think two Christmases, because yeah, then two years later in 2001, Wake Up and Smell the Coffee came out. And I remember getting those albums for Christmas and sitting in the middle of my parents' room, just like in, uh, we had this front living room. It's kind of a wide open room. It faces, I literally live in between two cornfields and just this, you know, it'd be a snowy, just the snowy expanse and just sitting <laughs> with my little disc man and my headphones listening to bury the hatchet and wake up and smell the coffee. And so I just like it, it's just a place for me. And I love those albums too. So much good stuff. But yeah, like I forget I forget where I was going with this, but yeah, they have an excellent choice in ending songs. Um, it's something I've always noticed about their about their albums. And some of them are really depressing. I think there's one called Dying in the Sun. And and I think there's another one that seems to be about death. And then their very, very last song on their uh, very last album is called In the End. And it is one of those. Is that like, the name of their last is, album too? Yeah. Yeah. And that's when like when I hear that song, it just hits me. It sounds like their earlier stuff is very simple lyrically, but it is about like at the end of your life is very interesting because she was in a really good place when she wrote the songs for that album. I know I'm kind of jumping across their discography here, but it's like, I, I, I just, I've, I've loved revisiting that. Well, to, to jump into the next section, I mean, everybody else is doing it. So why don't we was the top song? What, what, or top album? What, albums made your short list oh my short list okay so across like other bands as well or usually just you know there's like you know three to five albums that you you know could that could have been talked about in, in this one instead to, could be anything it could be the twin peaks soundtrack for for all you know, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah uh, it whatever is... it's you it's it's all for you it's it's really hard to narrow down but um I'm trying to think of albums that I really could talk a lot about. And I would, this may sound obnoxious, but I would talk ad nauseum about Daft Punk 
uh, and uh, either their Discovery album or their Live 2007 album. Um, I don't, I don't know if you're much of a fan of electronic music, but they, there is just something about those two French robots, and I admire their artistic approach to the music process and their creativity. I'll say that that type of music is not necessarily my thing, but I can't deny the talent and the the catchy songs that just, you know, the, you know, from, from one more time, you know, upward to the, the song they did with Niles Rogers. Um, uh, get lucky. Get lucky. I mean, just, I mean, what, I mean, that's, that was disco. I mean, disco is catchy in itself, but the, you, you just can't help but tap your foot, you know, it's just yes. so damn catchy. They, they, they were able to, yes, they to zero in on something that makes a body move. Yes. Yes, and I, I, I just l- love that about them. And uh, one of my favorite bands as well is I love ELO. I yeah, love Jeff Lynn. Uh, I think Jeff Lynn is just so talented and prolific, and just one of those guys who is like, I'm just gonna keep on going, whether anyone's listening or not. I'm just gonna keep making music. And yeah, I I got their greatest hits album after I discovered um I uh what was the song? Oh, Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky was on the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind soundtrack. Um, oddly enough, because it was used in the trailer. I don't think it was ever even used in the film. And I was like, I love this song. And my dad was kind of like, ELO. that's like (laughs) from back in my day and so that Christmas he got me the greatest hits and I fell head over heels for them and now whenever like I I have a number of their works on vinyl Uh, there's still a couple I'm looking for but I love their Discovery album Uh, that's an amazing album Out of the Blue Uh, yeah oh gosh yeah there's some good stuff yeah I I, I love Yellow um and I, I discovered them kind of backwards from the Wilburys because mm-hmm. you know, I was, I'd lo- I love, I love the traveling Wilburys. And then it's like talking with my dad, like who's, I, I know all these guys. Who's that guy though. Mm-hmm. And, and I did not know the, the lineage of Jeff Lynn and, you know, his influence on Tom Petty and other things as far as like full moon fever. So I found all that out kind of in reverse. And then it's like, Oh, E L Oh, the, those, those, the cool album covers, those guys. Yeah, the spaceship guys. Yeah. And, and then uh, as I start listening to my dad's vinyl of, he had several ELO albums, like, oh, I know these songs. Like, I knew mm-hmm. there's like a whole bunch that you just always, you know, staples of classic rock radio, but then you get some, you know, the under, you know, the deeper tracks, a telephone song and others. I mean, just some really, really good tracks. Yeah. I love ELO. Somebody needs to bring ELO to the table here. Yes. Oh, yeah. They're, uh, he was so inventive as well. I think, I think on the time, I think it's the time album. It's like one of the earliest uses of like an auto tuned voice, uh, in like the intro of one of his songs. He was, he just liked experimenting, um, and would mix. I loved the mix of the orchestral with the rock. For some reason, that really 
The band with the strings. The classic rock band with the strings. Yeah, which is exactly why my dad didn't like them for some reason. He like why he didn't have like any other albums. He's like, yeah, that never really, never really stuck with me. Um, but there are some of their songs, you know, "Don't Bring Me Down," that are just they're everywhere. It's like you, you, you can't not know ELO. Yeah, "Fire on High" is like never left my playlist. That's <laughs> always been one of my personal favorites. Oh man, "Strange Magic," "Telephone Line." living thing love living thing um and just yeah the weird operatic you know parts that they'll add to a song it's like sure throw everything in there there's an episode of doctor who that's like centered around an elo super fan so oh really yeah takes place like in the early 2000s and you know we're like video blogs are new and he's like staring at a webcam he's like i want to let everyone know that i love the electric light orchestra and then it's so there's like elo songs all throughout the episode it's pretty it's funny it's not one of the the best episodes for other reasons but it's it's a it's enjoyable if you're an elo fan nice nice i knew i'd get doctor who into this show somehow (laughs) (laughs) i I am a sci-fi fan but doctor who is just one thing i've never really uh, done a deep dive into i've seen a couple of episodes and i i can appreciate its fandom i was a, a huge fan for for many years and then the show kind of went downhill on writing who who is your doctor Who's oh david david tenet the, yeah the 10th the doctor will always be my doctor <laughs> uh, but if you ask my wife her hers is is the ninth doctor christopher eccleston so so we Mm-hmm. Yeah. but I turned her on to Doctor Who so that was, that was a, either which way you go there's a give and take there yeah she can be you wrong. hooked her you hooked her yeah <laughs> trying to think of some other uh, artists uh, I also love uh, Patrick Watson's Close to Paradise album I, I mean I love a lot of his albums he's a Canadian artist yeah I'm not familiar with him no. oh my gosh his music is mind-blowing his voice is incredible his voice is also an instrument and i think that's why i'm also drawn to him uh but i kind of discovered him in college oddly enough i used to discover some artists well i mean luke introduced me to a couple um and continually does so uh because that is his passion and uh i'm more than welcome to i'm more than open to be introduced to new music but there's something about just going to a physical space. Like I used to just be at Barnes and Noble, just browsing through, you know, CDs and, and things. And they'd be playing something, you know, that wasn't on the radio and I'd stop. And it's like, who, you know, you go look at the counter and you're like, what are, what's playing? And you know, maybe they'd put the little CD out and say like yeah. now playing, like, here's what's, here's what's I currently. I hope those types of places come back. I mean, you could still find them if you search. You know, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's. I, I hope that becomes you know, as the pendulum swings on everything. I hope that that kind of you know physical attachment to things and and the the ability to seek out and find new music that way. I hope that comes back. Yes, you know, yes. away from the algorithms. Right, like yeah, as as available as music has music has become to us. I mean. I've got 
a streaming service and I've got 90 million songs at my fingertips, but still I like trying them out so that I can buy them. Like, cause there's still something physical about having, you know, having the music and if the power all goes out or if the internet is out, I can still listen to music. I'm not reliant upon, you know, something outside. And yeah. and you feel like you are more directly supporting the artist as well. I like the way my, my cousin Alan put it on his Band on the Run episode, the, the tangible connection to having like a, a vinyl or cassette where mm-hmm. you have to physically change over to the other side. You have a you have a physical connection to to finish that album. It's CDs are great and streaming's great, but if you want to finish that album, you need to get off your ass and go flip that record. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that was a, that was a neat thing I had never thought about. And you know, not everything that was pressed on vinyl has made it to the electronic platforms. That's true. You, know, you you may find some hidden gems that were like, oh, they were only this pressing, and or this track was hidden, you know, on this, and it never caught on. Uh, it missed the algorithms. <laughs> well, before we wrap this up, uh, tell our listeners if you're working on anything, if they can find you anywhere or anything you would like to pitch. Sure. Um, so I have, I've been trying to be a little more active on uh, my YouTube channel. I have a YouTube channel called Nicole's Creative Life. I am a self-professed hobbyist. I collect hobbies. And I just want to spread more uh, creativity and positivity in the world. So, you know, I have everything on there from trying like a a family recipe out to, you know, showing people how to make homemade ice cream to showing how to do a painting. Um, So, yeah, that's uh, one small thing I got going on. (laughs) Renaissance woman. Hey, keeps keeps life spicy. Yeah. Like you gotta try new things, and and it's fun to get away from a screen once in a while and physically make something. Like go make a thing. Very true. All right. Well, uh, Nicole, thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure to sit and talk to you about everybody else is doing it. So why can't we buy the cranberries? Well, and thank you so much for giving me this opportunity um, to do this. And I want to leave you with a quote that I heard um, art is how we decorate space, but music is how we decorate time. Now that is profound. I like that. (laughs) I heard that somewhere recently and I was like, Oh, I love that. I want to remember that. Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a post on that. I'm going to quote it to you. You're going to, you can own it. (laughs) I I did not originate that. (laughs) If, If I put it on the internet, it's real. (laughs) thanks though this was fun this was really fun I enjoyed this this has been a fun homework assignment I'd like to thank you for listening to Music Rewind a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group if you enjoyed today's episode there are many ways to help the show such as our Patreon or affiliate links in the show notes the easiest way though is to give the show a rating or comment wherever you listen we really do appreciate it thank you again and as I always say listen to the full album. Until next time.
a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.